Trauma, featuring Eric Christensen on Alternative Health Tools, where together we discover alternative health tools and explore integrative healing philosophies for both individuals and practitioners. I'm Lisa, your co-host from across the pond in the UK, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Eric Christensen, who is a filmmaker, man in recovery, messenger and healer, and soon-to-be-released Unmasking Hope film, which I'm so excited about. We've been talking off-air about all these wonderful things that are coming together, grounded in clinical evidence, working with doctors, and today we're going to be talking about you know, grief and trauma and how we can identify with that and how we can connect with people to to go on that healing journey and Eric already has given me so much kind of insight into this world and I can't wait for this podcast so over to you Eric would you like to introduce yourselves to our listeners oh definitely thank you Lisa yeah I'm, I'm Eric Christensen and like you said I'm a I'm a filmmaker but I like to refer to myself more as a messenger and and to a certain extent a healer because I, I take a different kind of paradigm when I'm making my films and um and it's become kind of my calling. I'm a husband and, and a dad of three amazing beings. <laughs> and I, I want to call them kids, but they're not kids anymore. But that, that is a big part of my life. But also healing and making these films is a big part of my life. I've been doing them for the last 30 years. This is my fourth film, Unmasking Hope, my fourth personal film. I've done a lot of other work, including IMAX movies and Discovery and all sorts of other films. But it's great to be here. And I'm excited about what we chose to talk about. I'm super excited too. And I think it's just such a wonderful kind of the work that you do complements each other so well. So bringing the filmmaking to to healing and helping people on their journeys. I think it's just such a, a wonderful way to bring that to people. And like we talked off air, it's about, you know, those layerings of the messages throughout the films that can really, really help people on their healing journeys. It, it, it functions on so many levels for me. If it was only me just dealing with the participants in the film, it would be completely fulfilling. In, in the last few films I've done, I've been able to you know, accompany trauma survivors to some significant memorials and walk with them through these memorials. And uh, so when I'm, it just, one, with my film Homecoming of Vietnam Vets journey, I got to go to the wall of Washington, D.C. with Bob Turnbull. I got. I was honored to go to the 9/11 memorial with Jack Delaney, a first responder for 9/11, and uh, and Becky Lazinger, a survivor of that of that day. And then I also got to go to uh, the Route 91 memorial in Las Vegas, the mass shooting that uh, 58 people perished. And uh, I was able to go back to Vegas with these two individuals, these two wonderful ladies, and take them to that memorial. So if if it was just that. I'd be overpaid, but I get to make a movie too, you know, and, and, and after, after we went to that memorial, the Route 91 memorial with those two women, it was quite a process. It, it's a tradition to, paint, to find a rock, paint it, and take it back to the memorial. So we went through that whole process with these two women. We worked with their therapists in, the, in conjunction with the film, and then we went back up to uh, Vegas, which they were never going to go back to Las Vegas again. And uh, the biggest compliment I got was, you know, we didn't even notice the cameras there. So that means that our mission was accomplished, that the healing mission first. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily a filmmaker. Uh, oh, by the way, the camera was there, you know, and I was able to capture it, and I'm going to make a movie, you know, with that in it. Mm -hmm. But number one, 
I'm overpaid already being able to accompany people to those memorials and be part of their healing. It sounds like such a privilege and what an amazing human being you are, Eric, to be able to help people along their journey in such a different way to, you know, a coach or a counselor or, you know, it's, it's a different route to healing, isn't it? You know, I was, I was set on this path, um, you know, June 27th, 1990, I, I lost my home in the Painted Cave fire disaster in Santa Barbara. And I made my first film after that called Faces in the Fire about the recovery after that fire disaster. Seven months after I lost my home, you know, I changed my life. I got clean and sober and, you know, I saw a gift. God had given me a gift, mm -hmm. a clean slate. That's how I started this whole thing, you know. And um, so it was kind of laid on my plate. You know, I was prepared for this. So I understand what going through, you know, a trauma is. It's actually a gift. Yeah, and I love what you said there. It's a gift. And what one of the, the words that stands out on your website is hope. And it's tur turning that trauma into hope, isn't it? And seeing the gift in that moment. And I guess for any of our listeners out there who've experienced trauma and can't see see a journey to healing or, you know, they've you know experienced it really recently, it's knowing that there's hope in the future and that's what you give people, isn't it? You know, I try to, and, and, and I fully understand when you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to see the silver lining. You know, it's really hard to see over the, the next hill. And that still happens to me, you know, but I, I have a picture of that, I have a picture of the fire, you know, the Painted Cave fire in my office. So when I see that picture up in the office, I'm like, okay, so seemingly the worst day of your life can turn into a turning point for you if you're open and willing to let God work, that's per my personal feeling is, you know, guided by, by a higher power, but that's for me personally. But, but if you're willing and open to that experience, you can turn these things into a gift. And, and part of that is giving it away. Part of that is having blazed the trail before somebody else and say, this is how you can get out of here. So going back to like what I said, I understand, especially with the COVID and everything, isolation is terrible and uh we can get into a very very dark spot and it's hard to see you know what what the upside of it is you know i still struggle with that sometimes when things happen yeah. but i've had so many examples and i've got to see so many examples from my film work mm. what an inspiration and and talking about being in those places do you have any tips or tools that you use that you would mind sharing you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners who are perhaps thinking well how how do i how do i help myself in those moments you know that is such a great question and you know what i've done i've set up a system kind of around me so an accountability system i have a man that i call you know my mentor and my sponsor and he's he's 86 years old and he's been there done that he's a man of god and uh, and i meet with him once a week you know and mm -hmm. i honestly feel if most men that are in their 50s would listen to other older men, there'd be <laughs> less divorce, there'd be happier families and things like that, because he's already made all the mistakes, you know, so I've set up a system, what I'm saying is, you know, I've set up a system for myself where I have accountability. But what do you do if you don't have that yet? Well, you know what, it, it just you just gotta suck it up and, and, and reach out, you know, yes. and, and, and if there's anybody in your circle, that seems the least bit empathetic, I guess, is a great, great word. Reach out to them. It's so hard to transfer hope, you know? And, yeah. and, you know, when we're talking about this, I'm imagining those people that are in dire circumstances and 
and, and perhaps listening to this, it's, it's hard to transfer hope and give you hope, but you know what? There is, and it's just reach out and reach out to somebody and, you know, and then let me flip, let me flip that other side, you know, to the person that might see their friends suffering and things like that. You know, it's the easiest thing to do is just offer yourself to them, you know, just yes. show up or give them a call and don't worry about what you have to talk about. Don't even talk about the situation. That, that's not, what they, you know, a lot of these people that are going through and for me, a lot of, you know, when I'm going through some sort of crisis, they crave normality. They want, they want some sort of baseline. If you always used to get together and, and, you know, get a pizza and watch a movie, then go do, do that. You don't have to even mention the problem. If you create the proper space, and I call it holding space, if you create the proper space with those people that are hurting, they'll open up to you. And all you have to do is listen. But please don't give advice. <laughs> yeah. Even I don't give advice. I'm like, <laughs> but you know what? If, if, if it has to do with experience, if I've been there, then I'll tell them my experience, but I'm not yes. giving advice. I, uh, that's just such a wonderful way to kind of phrase it, isn't it? Is if you've been there, you can share your experiences and, you know, ho you know, show them that there's hope by sharing your experiences. And what, what I'm hearing from you there is there's two sides of the coin. There's someone that's perhaps experiencing or has experienced trauma and grief. And then there's the other side of the coin who there might be somebody who isn't going through that or hasn't been through that, that can provide support and just hold that space for, for another person. So whichever side of the coin you're sat on, you absolutely can be pivotal in, in supporting people through trauma and grief. And, and if that's yourself, you, you mentioned about, you know, if men just kind of listen to, to other men, I think quite often we're told that we've got to be the strong ones or there's a phrase, isn't there, we're headstrong, but what, what what's wrong with actually reaching out and saying, I just need some support right now or you know, putting your hand up and saying, can somebody just please help me? And I, I love what you said about finding someone who's a bit empathetic. There, there, there are people out there when we look for them, aren't there? Gosh, I can't remember. There, there's this great quote, but it's about taking an action and how that action creates a space where all sorts of things can happen that you can't even imagine. So by creating an action and that action could be just reaching out, it's going to create all sorts of other things happening. You know, and that's just the law of the universe. You know, that's a spiritual law for me is by asking for help. It, it opens up all these other possibilities and these things just start appearing. Like my, like my sponsor says, you can sit in the closet and pray for a hot dog, but you're not going to get a hot dog, which means, <laughs> you know, you got to take the action, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but if you take the action and, and then it's going to open up all sorts of other possibilities. Yeah. I just, you know, it's funny because I'm just really reaching out mentally to, you know, to those people that, that are hurting right now. You know, as I say, offering hope is one of the toughest things. And it's okay to not feel okay, isn't it? It's it's just a period in their life that will pass. And I, what you said there about having the picture of the fire up, it's a reminder that even in the darkest moments and even when you can't see it, you know, life is a journey, isn't it? And it takes some twists and turns and some dips and it will pass. It will pass. Yeah. You know, they, they say in my program, and this too shall pass. And I, I love this too. Um, God doesn't close the door without opening a window or another door, right? And then, then the, but the corollary to that whole thing is, man, I didn't know the hallway was so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've not heard that one, but I love it. The, yeah. the hallway's long, yeah. Yeah, and lots of doors that can open, even when we we can't see them. 
that they might just be a day ahead or a week ahead. And it, it's that hope again, isn't it? It's coming back to that word hope. Yes, there's so many great little tidbits, you know, in my personal recovery and, and uh, is, you know, don't leave until the miracle happens. You know, and we don't <laughs> know what's around tomorrow. I've, I've, time and time again, I see that and I see that with the people that I'm able to interact with in my films. Gosh, there's some great stories. Yeah. Have you got any that you'd like to share with our listeners that spring into mind? You know, actually, I do, matter of fact, <laughs> because it's just like, boom, right there. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, there's a wonderful woman. Her name's Molly. She was actually pregnant. She didn't know she was pregnant at Route 91. And she was there during the Route 91 mass shooting, and she escaped, then had her baby, and and uh, she was kind of like, okay, what were the odds of that happening? That's never going to happen again. And that's kind of off. That's kind of off the list now. And she was about, gosh, I don't know, it's about a year or two later, she was at the borderline shooting here out in Ventura. And she was actually at the second shooting. And that shattered, that completely shattered her security. Part of trauma is having something taken away from you. And and quite often it's security. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a sense of uh, being safe. And that was completely taken away from her. You know, and then then that loss throws you into a certain into an incredible amount of grief. You know, and she became practically a shut-in with her child and everything. And um, but then there's a great organization called Given Hour. You can look them up, GivenHour.org. They have a network of clinicians that offer their time to people that have went through traumatic events. They started with veterans, and then they started working with uh, Route 91, and then the borderline survivors. And she reached out to them. And she got into a little bit of counseling and got some healing. And and uh, I just recently saw her doing a follow-up interview about a month or so ago. And she's a peer counselor now wow. for given hour and talking to other people that went through it. And she is a different person. She is Amazing. like such a different person. She is a light, you know, and this is exactly what we're talking about. You know, there's, there's that hope. And, uh, but she kept, she kept fighting, you know, mm-hmm. she kept, she asked for help, you know, and it doesn't come all at once, you know, and she's still working on it. But, you know, one of the best ways, though, is to help another person. And yes. uh, it's just, it's it's a beautiful story. I'm so proud of her and I'm honored to be her friend. Those are my heroes. Yes. You know, it's like nice cars are nice, you know, great vacations are nice and all that. But but my heroes are the people that fought back and, and then had like, you know, they were down by double. <laughs> And then yeah. have fought back and then started helping other people and come back and then and made a significant uh, impact through what they went through. And often that happens, doesn't it? That story you've just described is people go through an experience and then that kind of transports them on a different path in life. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about it's almost like surrendering and trusting in God's plan or what whatever you believe in. There's a bigger plan for us. And sometimes it's just redirection. And if we can have the strength and you know have the ability to keep going and put our hands up and ask for help often that can turn into something beautiful about giving back can't it oh yeah and and you know what's the the oddity of that whole thing is there's a certain familiar factor in misery <laughs> you know when you're in your stuff you know uh, one of my sponsors used to say you know you're not going to let it go until it's done serving you and and then you're like, how is this serving me? I, I'm in the dumps, you know, da, 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 and you're not going to let it go. But people, there's a certain familiarity in, in, in being miserable and, and, and being in that spot. And uh, 
So when you're presented with the idea of like, I guess you would say God's way, it's a big unknown. You're like, what, what is his plan? I don't want to do it. I, I have no idea. I'm very familiar with my little apartment here and staying in and ordering food in and being isolated. And, but, you know, but there's a huge world and, and um, you know, letting go of that into the unknown, like we're talking about, um, like Molly. You know, Molly had no idea she ended up a peer counselor when she started counseling with uh, Give an Hour and uh, pretty, pretty much. It's life's a journey, isn't it? And that's why I've got the sign up behind me that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. It's just, oh, I love that. Yeah. It's just so true, isn't it? If we can just take that step and it just has to be a step at a time. It doesn't have to, you don't have to think about the long journey or the long corridor. <laughs> it's about taking a step and seeing what's the next door that's that's able to open. People are so connected with the familiar, you know, and it's just like, the same old go to the same restaurant, order the same thing, da da da, da you know. <laughs> and, and and there's a certain comfort in there, but you're you're right. Life does begin. I look at I look at the scale of adventure and comfort zone, and you know, I have a couple friends that are just so, you know, they're particularly surfers. My I grew up a surfer, and talking about like the end of their comfort zone, you know, they'll just come back. They they used to come back to the states, get enough money. And then just disappear, go to France. Where are you going? I'm going to France to surf. Where are you going to stay? I don't know. No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, then you kind of look at them. Certain people look and go, look at those vagabonds. You know, it's like, they're just, but look at that life. Mm. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's like, then, you know, I get these back in the day when you used to get postcards and letters, I get these, oh my gosh, you know, I found this place and I'm staying with this guy and I got this job painting houses in front of the, Kira, you know, in Australia, this perfect, and, and they, they've created this like adventuresome life way beyond. I don't know why I just brought that up, but I, I think I'm somewhere on the lower part of that scale. I'm still in the safety zone sometimes, you know, and, uh, you know, to bring it back to what we're talking about actually is I'm trying to like get way out of my comfort zone and where I want to take unmasking hope as a film, you know, and, uh, I look at all my past work and I'm like, you know what, I really have to, take this to another level and that that involves so many different different ideas you know and uh if everything worked as an artist there'd be no risk if you can go man i got this crazy idea i'm gonna do this and it always worked there's no risk but you know i have so many ideas and so many places i want to take this film and, and so far it's working but it is a big risk so on the unmasking hope film like can you just share a little bit about that and where the idea was born out of and, and your your ideas that are coming to fruition and how that's unfolding? Are we allowed a sneak kind of, I know obviously the trailer's out and people can see that on YouTube, but are we allowed kind of a sneak kind of behind the scenes, what's going on <laughs> in your mind and, and why this is so important for you and how this kind of came to fruition? Well, that, that's a great question. And and I gotta, I gotta admit there, there is a part of this to me, it's, it's, you know, I call them my theses. Each film has a thesis, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was so naive when I did Face in the Fire, like over 30 years ago. I just knew kind of by intuition what I should do. And I interviewed a lot of survivors. And everybody's like, well, you're not just telling one story. And I'm like, I have a feeling it's all going to fit together. But it was about one incident, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody had the commonality of one incident, even though we're, they're different ages, different sexes and everything. And so, you know, when that was done and I put that together, I'm like, wow, they're all telling the same story. So that little thesis worked, you know, mm -hmm. 
Then there was um, Homecoming, a Vietnam vet's journey, and I interviewed six different um, Vietnam vets, and they each told a different part of the same story. I wanted I wanted a big, like broad variety of of different experiences, and you know I, I had I had a, a gentleman named Fat Cowboy, <laughs> and he was, <laughs> he was a Korean uh, Purple Heart Korean uh, Marine War veteran from Kansas, salt of the earth. I mean he's like a guy like slim pickens in the movies you know and and then i had this this woman sandra lee who um was a female veteran out of new york and i'm like what did they really have in common and i'm like oh my gosh i'm like that that was my thesis trying to put them all together along with the world war ii vet current vets all these people and it worked so getting to unmasking hope my thesis is even broader now, we're doing, we're not just doing veterans. We have, we have a veteran in it, Sandra Lee, actually. I take, a, I take one individual from my past film and I put it into my next film. Sandra Lee's in it, she's a veteran. But I also have mass shooting survivors, 9-11 survivors. I have an African-American gentleman that was uh, molested at seven years old by uh, somebody that he trusted. There's one in six men, you know, that are, that are sexually molested. So we have that, we have uh, the 9-11 survivors, we have a, another incest survivor. So how are all those gonna fit together? You know, And that's my big thesis with this. And that's where Unmasking Hope came from. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really mix it up with this. And I'm gonna see if my thesis that we all heal basically the same, we're all telling the same story, even though it's really different. Yes. You know, um, Sandra Lee's experience is very different than the mass shooting survivors, you know, and 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 the and unmasking hope. The the title, my good friend Pam Pyre came up with the title, and uh, you know, it's 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 about taking off that mask, you know, because after trauma we put on a mask, and uh, yes. and all these people put on different masks, and that mask. I was talking to Doctor Amit Ekin this last week from Stanford University. That mask serves a purpose at first. Mm-hmm. It allows that woman to get up and make dinner. I mean, make a big lunch for our kids, get them off to school, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but after a while that mask sticks on us, you know, and we have to lose that mask after a while and then and unmask our hope. And so that's kind of where the whole film came from. So it's, it's a, it's a spiritual progression from my other films, but it, it, we, we have a very big like analogy with, with the mask, you know, and, a, yes. and lyricism with the mask. And that's where I'm taking another chance with this film is, diving it more into the lyrical and trying to explain the the journey of the trauma survivor in a more lyrical way. But that's where um, Unmasking Hope is. I love it. And oh gosh, what, what an inspiring journey that I, people won't be able to wait until this comes out. When, when are we, when are we going to be able to see this film? Um, October 10th right now, October 10th, 2022. And it's world mental health awareness day. And, Amazing. uh, so we're, we're working with hopefully a couple of partners in the release. Uh, it's going to be on public television here in the United States and hopefully available on a couple different uh, VOD platforms. So, fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in the middle of it. I'm still slogging through all the prep because it's a huge, huge project. I'm excited for you and I can, I can just, I feel connected to it already. And 
one of the things you said there is you're bringing lots of different people together who've had different experiences and we talked about connection didn't we and one of the things that connects everybody is that feeling they've all felt the same way they've all experienced that feeling even if it's been through a different experience or journey and I think it's amazing that you're bringing so many different people together to inspire that hope to say no matter what experience you've had there's other people that felt this way too and there's hope for the future it's really exciting that's that's my big risk on this too to me i think everything will fit together i already know it will it's a matter of taking my time and doing that and putting it together but also we have with this film too we have a lot of clinical support mm-hmm. as i said i just interviewed dr meet ekin last week um, from stanford university i've known him for over eight years he was a clinical supervisor on the last film and this one film also but he he talks about being able to uh clearly see all the different connections in between all these different uh, events, all these different uh, kinds of traumas. And so by using the clinicians and using that as a kind of a, a grounding piece, uh, that that's really going to help the stories stick together. And, and, and then I mentioned also Dr. Catherine Shear, and we, we explore a lot of the grief um, issues that are involved in trauma, because I think um, trauma has gotten to be such a buzzword. We're forgetting a whole other half of what happens after that loss from the trauma. Yeah, that's that's really interesting point to raise, Eric. It's grief is and trauma, they're kind of words that are just banded around, but it's irrelevant how big the trauma or the grief is. If you're feeling it, you're feeling it, aren't you? And how do how does grief and trauma fit together? You've kind of raised that point. Should we just share with our listeners so they can kind of understand and see whether or not they can identify with that, like we talked about that identification process to see if that's something that they need some support with. You know, um, I think we all need support with grief. I think grief is a very universal, uh, universal type of event, you know, when we lose a loved one. And there is trauma associated with losing a loved one. But the trauma isn't at the level of causing what you would call PTSD. But with a P- uh, PTSD event, something at that level, you know, like a 9-11, there's still an amazing amount of grief. I mean, trauma kind of is the event and it doesn't last, you know, it, it's, it's an event in time. And unfortunately with severe trauma, it does get frozen in the brain. I mean, literally it gets, and then you have to work through that. But the secondary kind of, I don't want to say complement each other, but they run, you know, it's a logical progression to have the grief and with the 9-11 survivors and a lot of traumas it's they've lost their sense of security yeah. you know all they were doing is going to work that day you know yeah. and uh you know i find it very fascinating i've worked in the veterans space for a very long time and uh you know the veterans for to a certain extent they know what they're getting into it doesn't it doesn't take away from the impact of the trauma Yes. But when, when I'm now interviewing civilians that have just went to a country music concert and then um, were fired upon, that kind of trauma, they didn't sign up for that. It's a whole mm-hmm. different kind of a shattering of, of their security. But it goes back to that loss. Mm-hmm. You know, and Dr. Catherine Shear says trauma is basically loss and yearning. It's that something's gone now. Yeah. It never completely comes back. You know, but we learn how to incorporate that into our lives. 
we learn healthy workarounds. We learn how to, and, and part of incorporating loss into our lives is rituals and memorials. Yeah. And understanding the truth about what happened to us and also honoring it and going to those memorials. And it, it's, a, it's a big part of the healing because it, mm-hmm. it, it releases that pressure valve just a little bit each time you return. And I saw that with the Route 91 survivors in Las Vegas. Yeah. I think that's that's kind of, yeah, very in- inspiring to kind of give people that hope to say it doesn't go away, but it releases that pressure valve when you do the memorials. And I guess it's that community coming together, isn't it? And that support. You know, it, it's so many things. And, and yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of it is about community going into the memorials and and being part of the community and also accepting it. This did happen to me. I am part of this community. Yeah. It's it's a big part of it. And then yeah. identifying with others and sharing. Yeah. And I think that acceptance has to come before we can change and move forwards. And when you talk about moving forwards, you talked about workarounds and it, it's not about burying it or pretending it never happened. It's about finding those workarounds and, and, and finding a way forwards, isn't it? Then Dr. Shear says it's about incorporating it into your life in a healthy way. Because as I said, it never fully goes away. You know, it's something that these individuals struggle with every day, but then, but we incorporate it and we find ways to work, to work with it in our lives and then get a full life. So for what any of our listeners out there are thinking, well, how do I incorporate that into my life in a healthy way? What types of I mean, we've talked about memorials and things like that and, and reaching out to people. Are there any other tips you could give people that can incorporate it in a healthy way? You know, number one is reaching out to other groups, other people like you. But also, you know, with my stuff, I, I, I love talismans. Talismans, you know, just little special reminders. And I have them all over the place. You know, I have, I have melted glass from my house, you know, and I, I remember that. And I have certain things like all over my office that I'm looking at right now, that means something to me that I can look at. It reminds me about this is part of my life, my uh, recovery chips and stuff like that. You know, it's like, and, and it supports me, you know, and, and time does matter. You know, the fourth, fifth anniversary, anniversaries are a big deal. And being able to like, um, I don't celebrate is definitely not the right word, but be able to recognize those dates mm-hmm. when they come, when they come through all those things. And the other thing is, again, the people around you, you know, creating a sense of normalcy around these things, yes. you know, and, and, and not the oddity of it, you yes. know, and, uh, and being comfortable with that person that you know, and sometimes they've changed a lot. So you have to kind of pivot a little bit to, to meet them, but, but meet them in their own, meet them in their own space. Yeah. I like that. Meet them in their own space and, and pivoting. It's often people when they go through change we expect them to be the person that they were before and quite often they're not because they've had quite a life-changing event happen and it's about taking that step back is what i'm hearing from you and saying meet them where they're at and and hold that space for them and and pivot slightly if that's what they need and and and, you know and not making a big deal out of it Mm. that's that's the biggest thing even if even if you're not a clinician and you're not you don't you don't know all the buzzwords and everything, you can still be a big help to your friends. Yes. Just by listening. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and unfortunately, we've lost the ability to listen. I, I 
I know so many men my age just waiting for their <laughs> chance to talk and they're not <laughs> listening to you, you know? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it's not really easy to listen. You really have to, um, it takes a little bit of a risk. There's a little bit of empathy to really listen to somebody that's in pain. Open up yourself to them and try to put yourself in their shoes and not think about what you're going to say next. <laughs> mm-hmm. Think about like being there for them and making that eye contact. Yeah. Uncomfortable sometimes. Being, being present, isn't it? Like you say, yeah. and holding that space for them and the conversation that flows rather than waiting to, to speak. It's, well, what's this person saying and why is that important to them? And can I pick up on that? And I, I just remember once. Um, somebody said to me, you've got two ears and one mouth, use them in that, in the, in oh that ratio. Yes, I've heard that one too. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, when people are busy and they've got places to be and things to do quite often, you know, it, it's easy to just be a step ahead of yourself rather than present in that conversation. So I think that's such a wonderful kind of tip from you, Eric, is just to be present in that moment, really listen to what your friend's saying, because they might be giving you so much information as to how they're feeling, but without saying it. Part of my, part of my recovery is helping other guys from uh, recovery from drugs and alcohol is helping other guys, new guys. And it's so funny. Inevitably they'll call me up and they'll go on and on and on. And I'll barely have to say anything. This is going on and this is going on. And by the end of the conversation, I'll barely say anything. And they they just needed a sounding board. And they already worked like 80% of it out in their head. You know, and it's like, and just being a good sounding board. You're holding that space for them again, aren't you? And like you say, often we have the answers within us. We just need that space to work through it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, that's what I do in my, uh, my interviews. You know, we were very particular you know, on our sets about who's there, about how we set this up, about, and I've done so many of them now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really, it's actually kind of fascinating. Searching for Home, Coming Back from War, my film, my transcript books, you know, we had 1,100 pages of transcripts and there would be a little red tab every 20 pages or so, the stuff that we needed to use. Mm-hmm. Um, with Unmasking Hope, my skills have changed with interviewing and we have a red tab on every page. It's just Amazing. like there's a wealth of great things. I'm like, <laughs> and then you, I, I read it back and I'm like, they told me that. Oh my gosh. It's just like, that's like two souls talking to each other. That's powerful. Isn't it? Two souls talking to each other. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it's really, um, an honor to be able to get on that kind of basis with the individual. And allow and them allowing you that kind of access. And, uh, mm. you know, Sandra Lee in this, my current film, Unmasking Hope, she was also in my film, Searching from Coming Back for More. And uh, I have a tradition of taking from my last film one of the people and putting it in my next film. And, and Sandra Lee was that person. But I've gotten to know her so well. And she opens up in these interviews. And I'm just so honored, mm. you know, to be not only be like working with her in the film, but also be her friend. It's, it's pretty amazing going from uh, PTSD and military sexual trauma in Iraq to oh, she's very happily married, found a great guy. We were invited to the wedding and we came wow. to the wedding and everything. It was great. Anyways. What an amazing uh, story. Lots of, healing, lots of healing. Yeah. Lots of healing. Yeah. Oh, Eric, this is, this is phenomenal. And I, I think, our message to our listeners is is hope, isn't it? That no matter what trauma or um, experience you've had, or even if it's just grief, there's hope. 
and, and, you know, grief can drag you very deep because, you know, grief feeds depression, grief feeds anxiety, you know, and they're all connected, you know, in our crazy little brain. And so like we were saying, you know, you need to find a little outlet, you know, yeah. be able to let some of that pressure off to connect with somebody and it could be a professional, it could be your, it could be your brother, it could be one of your best friends. Oh, Eric, is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners today? I mean, you've already shared loads, but if there's a final kind of parting message of hope, what would that be? You know, I don't want to make it all about me, but, <laughs> you know, uh, telling all these stories is, it takes a lot of organization and a lot of time to truly tell the story. And uh, this is not necessarily uh, something that's inspirational, but What's interesting about art, all good art comes from a place of like really good preparation, you know, and, and you know, from writing your book, you know, we can't just sit down and write a book, you know, there's so much prep, you know, that's just kind of what's on my heart right now is, uh, you know, I'm going through all that prep, you know, I, I, I cut storylines for each individual. There's eight different individuals in the film and I cut a storyline for each one of them. Then I cut the film once I know their storylines inside and out. And um, art takes preparation. It's just not inspiration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking about. I think that's wonderful. And I think that ties quite nicely into the fact that even if you can't see what you're going through right now, and the reason why you're going through it right now is, is, is it could almost be that work of art that turns into something that creates something beautiful in your future that you can use as a springboard to help others or help yourself move forward on this wonderful journey of life. You know, that's a, that's a great analogy because this is my fourth personal film. I know it's, it, it's already actually created somewhere. I love that one saying is you chip away everything that's not the statue, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I've been through this before, so I know it. But I also know that when I go through, sometimes go through tragedies, I know that there is hope and that something, something cool will be created out of this. And, and maybe that is, you know, where, where we, you know, kind of plant our flag is even in you're in the middle of it, just know other what people have went through it and that there is hope on the other side. If you, if you just take a couple of small actions and, and keep moving forwards. Take action, move forwards and, and trust. It's what you said earlier, wasn't it? It's trust that there's a bigger plan sometimes and just be willing. You said earlier to be willing to, to move forwards. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Eric, it's been a wonderful pleasure to have you on the show. I thank you for your time. And yeah, I just, it's just, I feel really humbled to have been able to spend this time with you and learn more about your wonderful work. It's just, it is really inspiring. Um, really inspired me. And I guess if anybody wants to to follow you, I know from, uh, the professional point of view they can see what you're doing from ecproductions.com and then with the unmasking hope they can go to unmaskinghopethemovie.com if they want to find out more and i'm super exactly. excited i can't wait for mental health day <laughs> and i'll be definitely trying to find your movie your film however i can in the uk so um <laughs> thank you so much for your time today thank you